everyone, and welcome to the Path 11 podcast with your hosts, April and Mike. On today's show, we'll be interviewing Marla Fries, who is a well-known psychic medium. But before we get into her show, we would like to give you a word from one of our sponsors today. The sponsor for today's show is Jeff Finley of MakerMistaker.com. Jeff shares a pretty extraordinary story that he ended up turning into a book, and he woke up early for an entire year in an effort to change his habits and overcome some depression that he was going through. And what he learned was extraordinary and led him to dozens of out-of-body experiences, which he talks a lot about on his podcast show, and a true deep spiritual awakening. And fortunately for us, he wrote a book about it, and it's called Wake Up, The Morning Routine That Will Change Your Life. You can purchase his book at makermistaker.com backslash path. And the ebook edition is available for pay what you want, which I think is a really cool idea. He hasn't set a price to it and you can get it for free if you want. He's perfectly fine with that. Or you can pay what you think it's worth to you. So again, you can find his book and podcast at makermistaker.com backslash path. Today we're speaking to Marla Fries, who actually is connected to quite a few people that we know and have been on our show, and we finally made the connection to get her on. And she's a pretty well-known psychic medium. She's appeared on A&E, Bravo, History Channel, Sci-Fi, and TV Land. And she was also a co-host of the popular radio webcast Dreamland for UnknownCountry.com. She's interviewed so many people between 2007 to 2013, so many spiritual authors and well-known people like James Van Prague, Dr. Brian Weiss. And part of her work and how she really kind of came into this work was through her intuition that emerged through her childhood trauma and basically through that experience, created her heightened sensitivities. She's an ongoing graduate of the Monroe Institute and has studied many of the programs there. She also trained in the methods of remote viewing used by the U.S. military remote viewers and has also done some pro bono investigative consulting work with law enforcement agencies. A lot of her interviews, or all of her interviews that she's done on Dreamland, are archived, and you can head over there to unknowncountry.com. And some of you may also be familiar with Marla, as she spent 25 years as a successful TV and stage personality as a former actress. Marla has owned her empathetic skills, accessing the depth of emotion and training her body to feel and listen to the messages from spirit. And Marla shares with us her extraordinary story of how she's used some of this information in tuning into that empathic nature through her acting skills, using her intuition to run groups and workshops and touch the lives of others. So we'd like to welcome her today to our show. Hey, Marla, how are you doing this morning? April, I'm great. And thank you and Michael so much for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. We're really excited to have you on here. I mean, your bio in itself could take up the entire hour of our show <laughs> that you have done so many things. Um, you know, you between being on television, a former actress, uh, a psychic medium on A&E, Bravo, and the History Channel, and Sci-Fi, and oh my God, some of the work that you're doing with law enforcement. We're not quite sure where to begin with you because you have a wealth of knowledge, and we also have shared friends like Tom Campbell and some people over at the Monroe Institute, but I'd really love people to hear a little bit about your story and how you kind of came into this world of work. Well, thank you, April. Um, you know, we, we all have a history that has uh, it's that has led us to the point where we are right now. And 
Um, my story is basically sourcing everything that I do. And I've taken all the lemons and all the roses and everything that comes along with a challenging childhood. And I have, I've, you know, just like all of us, we, we grow, we grow up. You know, Tom Campbell, who is, of course, one of our friends, um, I've been working with him this year. We've done a couple of uh, YouTube videos about race, trying to raise consciousness and blend the metaphysics with the physics and get people to understand that we as souls continually grow. And I came into this life. I believe I did choose my parents. I believe I even have memory of consciousness before I came into the womb. Um, actually, Brian Weiss, I'm sure you're familiar with Dr. Brian Weiss, but yes. Brian Weiss's work has been so uh, incredibly helpful for me in understanding the, the point of our soul recycling over and over again. And for whatever reason, I chose a family dynamic which was perfect for me. And I think that that's the whole point. No matter what the stories are, that um, uh, some are very colorful and some are, are challenging and, and sad, and, and we could keep asking the question, as you know, as being a facilitator of, of mental health, that we could keep asking the question why these things happened. But why really isn't the the question for me now. It's more about what do we do in the face of all of these challenges? And spirit, uh, the larger consciousness system, God, has been guiding me through, around, up, down, in and out, being pushed into situations, pulled out. And by the time that I became um, or that I left the acting world, I started to understand that my entire life has just been about getting me to where I am now, which is helping people understand consciousness, and that, uh, that consciousness survives death, and that we are here um, in, in a soul group to learn as much as we can to elevate our consciousness. Yeah, now you, you really have done a, a ton of different things in your life, but what is your focus currently? What are you doing to help do that? Are you doing private sessions with people? Are you doing workshops? I know you have a YouTube channel. Oh, you know what, April? I am so excited. I just came back from being in Pennsylvania. I was in my hometown for a week, and I did small groups between 10 and 15 people, and it was extraordinary. Each group had its own sort of theme, um, and most of these people I didn't know, and then there would be some people in the group, and I'd look at them, and I'd go, do I know you? And they said, yeah, you haven't seen me in 45 years, but being back in my hometown was so so amazing. And then I did some work in Pittsburgh. But I, I wanted to, I want to bridge this, the work that I'm doing, um, because I call myself a, a transformational psychic medium. And you guys can help me out with that, because I'm really looking at the terminology of psychic and medium, because as Tom and I have discussed, the terminology psychic has, is, is old, it's antiquated. But the idea of being an empath, which um, uh, I'm sure all of us are at some point in our lives, the sensitivities, there's really no better conversation because I don't want to call myself an intuitive because that's kind of lame in the sense of that's really psychic. So I'm still like crafting what it is that I do 
consciousness consultant, you know, a coach. But in these sessions, I am communicating with the larger consciousness system, God, um, bringing information in for people about any aspect of their lives, as well as communicating with deceased loved ones. So that has been the focus. And of course, relegating this manuscript to the best possible person to help me get it out. Wonderful. Now, I know that you say that you're an ongoing graduate of the Monroe Institute, and <laughs> we've interviewed quite a few people that have, you know, taken some of the classes down there. You know, William Buhlman's one of the teachers. We had yes. Todd Akamasis uh, come on and actually, um, you know, discuss some, like, out-of-body experiences and, you know, just some other people that have gone there. And I know Mike and I, neither of us have actually taken a course yet. We should, um, and we both want to. But I'm just curious to know just with your skills and like you were talking about with some of your intuition and your mediumship, how did you find those programs to help enhance your, I guess, knowing or ability to understand the consciousness system a little bit better? Well, how, how I got, um, sort of like, uh, out of the acting world as I got gobsmacked by being stalked by someone. I had been highly psychic as a child, but I didn't even believe in talking to dead people. So when that all went down and my antennas blew out of my head, I had to seek assistance about communicating um, that I was, I was hearing from the deceased loved ones of people. And I, I really sought help from every conceivable um, clergy, therapist, uh, anyone who had been that down that pike. And I found that the U.S. military psychic spies, the remote viewers, were really the most helpful to me. It was Lim Buchanan who set me on a course of understanding this work. And then he, he is the one that started talking to me about the Monroe Institute because he and, of course, a number of the um, remote viewers are the ones that went there to engage in altered states of consciousness without the use of drugs. And I had been interested in it for 15 years, but, and I waited until I was divorced, and then I was pushed to go. So, April, you asked about how the programs at Monroe can enhance abilities. I find that um, what Monroe is doing is it's bringing together an opportunity for the cohesiveness of like-minded people who are interested in expanding their consciousness. And what better than to be up in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia where it's absolutely gorgeous. The air is clear, it's fresh, it's beautiful grounds, and it is the history of a man, Bob Monroe, who has taken his heart and soul and the divine who's pushed him into radio and then of course to develop this wonderful programming. It's taken all of this to create a structure, like a scaffolding, for those of us who are interested in, in expanding our consciousness. And I cannot recommend that place enough. Great. Now, with some of the remote viewing training that you did there, I also see that you work with law enforcement on a pro bono you know, basis, doing mm -hmm. some investigative consulting work. And I'm sure some of our listeners would find that pretty interesting. I've never personally myself ever had the opportunity to speak to anyone like yourself that maybe has done some work with law enforcement, you know, in trying to help people maybe solve some certain crimes or giving law enforcement information. I've only really seen that on TV. Like, does that okay. really happen? And so if you could explain to us maybe how you use some of your skills and maybe how even some of your training has helped with that and what you know what is that work like 
Oh, my pleasure. Well, well, first off, um, the first person that I trained in the remote and controlled remote viewing was Lynn Buchanan. And Lynn Buchanan was not at the Monroe Institute at that time. Um, he had gone and taken some of the courses there, but I met him independently. I used, I would, um, I'd fly to Tempe, Arizona, or go down to a hotel down by the airport in Los Angeles. And then I, um, I managed to train with Paul Elder, um, who is a facilitator at Monroe, but I did that up in Vancouver. And of course, I've interviewed and talked with Joe McMonagle uh, about numerous things around this. Um, but some of the things that happened in the remote viewing uh, situation with Lynn Buchanan was an ability that I still haven't gotten a hold of. Um, it's map dowsing. For whatever reason, I have the ability to see things and feel things on maps. And I know that Joe McMonagall was really great with that because of his uh, ability to do coordinates, um, altitude, longitude, all of that. I, that's not my skill, but for whatever reason, uh, Lynn Buchanan and I had this really strong connection of being able to do this map dowsing. And it, the whole thing with law enforcement um, started, as I might have mentioned earlier, when a, during a time when I was being stalked, um, and I, you know, fear does a funny thing. It's the gift of fear. But working for law enforcement seriously came out of that strange anomaly of being frightened and going to North Hollywood Police at one point and picking up a, a photograph that was sitting on a desk when I was there to discuss um, the stalker who was, you know, making my life sort of irritating. Uh, I picked up a photograph and said, wow, you know, this looks like a homosexual rage murder. And I had no idea where that information came from. And I thought, that's odd. Hmm. And it was it was actually an actor friend of mine that went to school with me at the Miami University of, of Oxford in Ohio that had heard that I had become some sort of a form of a psychic and contacted me and he said, I want you to take a look at uh, a murder from my hometown. It's a 30-year-old cold case. And I said, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing, but bring a photograph over and let's see what happens. And he brought that photograph over and it was a white, black, a black and white photograph. And as soon as I touched it, I went to a field in the middle of the night. It was as though, and this is part of one of the ways that I work, I get blinded to my present circumstances, April, and I go into a movie I was in this field, and I'm a young woman, and I'm with this man, and I know him, and his name is Michael. And he turns around, and he looks like he loves me, and I feel compassion toward him, and then he hits me with something. And I am so shocked, and I realize that this is the end of my life. So at that moment, I was able to detail what the man looked like, what he was wearing, what happened, which corroborated um, some of the evidence uh, 30 years earlier. But what was most interesting is that the information that I provided for um, my friend Rick, he took to an investigative reporter and they reopened the case a 30-year-old cold case, based on me telling them that there was uh, a piece of evidence in, I guess, the basement of the courthouse, which is where this 
town or the the small town in Ohio was where this woman Carol had been killed the evidence was apparently there well they did open the case there was DNA on they found the log or the piece of wood that had hit her the man had still lived in that town and they tried to bring him to justice but the DNA um, was not admissible because there had been a flood in the basement of that courthouse so they didn't allow that DNA to be admissible. But that woman, Carol was her name, had her day in court. And that kind of opportunity um, doesn't, doesn't, uh, uh, it doesn't come about as much as it used to, April. Those cases, um, it's become really challenging working for, with law enforcement um, because it, I am, uh, it, it is usually an anonymous situation. This is not about me gaining any kind of notoriety. I mean, I can't talk about half the cases that I've worked on, but I never try and solve the case. I just provide, try and provide a different form of sight for the investigators and the detectives so that they can possibly see something or think about something to help them in their investigation. Yeah, and do you think that um, law enforcement consults more than maybe the general public realizes with people that have abilities like yourself? Well, I do know that since the remote viewing um, uh, faction of the U.S. government was disbanded in the early 90s, I know that there's a lot of remote viewing going on um, behind closed doors. Um, you know, I don't know if people are being paid for it or anything like that. I just know that um, with the nature of uh, especially what's happened in in our country, even within the last week, with the with the terrorist, um, well, if you want to call it terrorist attacks, um, law enforcement is seeking assistance probably anywhere they can. But the whole, everything that you two have done regarding the filming of putting out um, beyond the physical and the afterlife, that kind of information about the way that our psyches work and the, the advancements of our own consciousness, we're trying to assist whomever we can, whether it's loved ones in their grief, or I'm sure that there's law enforcement that is seeking out assistance, but I, I can't speak about that because I actually don't know that right. at this point in time. So. I can't really, I can't give you an answer about that. I can only imagine that there is, there are things going on. Now, with your intuition, do, do you usually get that movie effect where you're immersed into the scene, or is it different every time? You know what, Michael? It is different every time. Um, some of the some of the situations of sitting with a group of people. I love the small groups. They're the most intimate, and everybody gets to hear everybody else's information. And it usually happens with families um, where. Uh, a deceased loved one will come in and, and give lots of different details for everyone's sake, and everybody is is healed in a in a most unique way from being able to communicate with their deceased loved ones. But I am often shown things from the deceased perspective, um, and I must stand up 
and either act it out, like here's the table, here's where the door was, here's where the sink was. When I was back in Pennsylvania, there was a loved one who was trying to give a specific piece of information regarding a gas leak in a house to you know one of the uh, living people sitting in the group. And I stood up and I said, okay, here's the sink. And back here, right behind me, it looks like there's a big X and they're telling me this is where the gas leak is. And she said, well, right behind the sink is the, is the stove. And I said, okay, so they're showing me go down a few steps and right behind the stove is where the gas leak is. So that's something that I had to either draw out, stand up, you know, walk around, show the person that's in front of me. And I had to do that or I could not go on with the communication. It's as though it becomes um, it becomes the site. Sometimes it's pictures, but it usually is movies in that way, Michael. Now, do you think, are you pulling the information or is the information being pushed to you? Well, Tom and Tom Campbell and I have had this conversation because um, it, it's, it's different for me. I ha- we have to look at what my background is. My sensory perception um, from some of the a mental and physical abusive nature that I had as a child got really heightened. What I did with that is I... I had to express that somehow in the healthiest way, and I guess it's the way it was supposed to go, but I put myself on stage. Um, I became an actress to express and express. That is my, those are my pathways of, of um, uh, that I have developed. It's in the listening. It's in the feeling. It's in the sensory perception. You know, some of the acting techniques um, that you learn when you're working as an actress are, sen- are sensory perceptions. You know, what does it feel like or what does it taste like when you taste that lemon? When you start to visualize that and think about that, then your mouth starts to salivate. Some of those things are my neuropathways. That's how I see and feel information. When Tom talks about accessing the larger consciousness system, it's about the data or the data. You say potato, I say potato. But but accessing that information for me comes in not only hearing, seeing, but feeling. Now, for me, in, in the way that I'm translating this, it's pushed on me. I'm not going out there looking for it. It's pushed on me. And sometimes the information has a, a need behind it. Like when a deceased loved one wants to make a communication and apologize. It is, okay. it is an energy that feels to me like it is pushed. And I go through various, you know, um, uh, times where it feels uh, that it starts at 6 o'clock in the morning or it starts an hour before the person shows up. I'm not exactly sure why. Maybe there is a, you know, a system on the other side where you know, they, they flip a switch. I still don't know the machinations of it because it's never the, the same way every single time. I just surrender to being open to how the information comes in what the information is, and I do my very best to be able to communicate it in the most neutral, benevolent way possible. Okay. 
Now, because I've had similar experiences, that's probably one of the few areas where I, I think that I'm intuitive, is where I, I hold an object that I can kind of give a detail about the history of the object. Oh, you mean psychometry? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, okay. Let's call it what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just not, you know, fluent with the vocabulary with that. But, um, yeah, and it's almost like I feel like when I do it, and I, I haven't done it enough to know if I'm actually really good at it, but when I have done it, it's more like I'm kind of looking into like a microscope and I see like an image and mm-hmm. like anything that's ever been connected with that object, I, I kind of see like within like a maybe a second or so. Oh, yeah. It's a thin sliced moment, isn't it? Right. Yes. I, I have to say it's kind of like... You know when you go to the top of like the Empire State Building and you see those binoculars? It's kind of just like looking into that real quickly and then looking away. Oh, good. Well, may I make a suggestion? Sure. Um, one of the things I like to do is take a tape recorder and put it beside me and start playing with... The, and I do teach this, too. Um, but if I'm by myself putting the tape recorder beside me so or the you know the the iPhone uh picking up an envelope and if it's a bill you pick up the bill oh i see an 8 and a 3 and a 1 so when i open it up if it's 8311 then i'm like okay um if it's 831 i'm not so happy especially if it's a bill but I am tapping into the piece of information to focus on that information. Like, I want to see what the the amount of the bill is. Um, Photographs are really great. You get a bunch of different photographs, um, and, of course, you have them so you can't see them. And you pick them up, and you can feel the resonance. Sometimes it's colors. For you, it might be uh, the visuals of where the place is. Uh, for me, it's usually the emotion of the actual photograph. So the more you do this, Michael, the, um, the more you have the opportunity to, to tune that very fine dial of being able to um, see where the vibration comes in for you. You know, it's, it's very it's challenging for, for uh, people like myself, or I can't speak for everybody else, but it's challenging for me to sometimes to listen for the information for me. So when I get into the shower in the morning, for whatever reason, that's where I get a lot of downloads. And I, as soon as I get out of the shower, I basically write everything down because I don't know necessarily if it's going to be for me until I look at it and write it down, or is it my first client? Um, And I'm going to bring this up because I think the nature of this is important to discuss. Um, The recent uh, shootings in San Bernardino that just happened, Um, those of us who are sensitive sometimes can feel that something's coming and we don't know what it is. The day before, I cried three different times during the day and I would ask, what is this? And they say, you know that something's coming. That's all you need to know. Now, what does that mean? That I can't do anything about it? That it's coming and it's supposed to happen? That I'm too scared to tap into it. So I ask questions. I write the answers down. When you hold an object, you know, go into that, um, that uh, the way that you see things. Ask more questions and see if you get more information. Okay. That makes sense, yes. 
Yeah, I remember I had my first experience like that. I was taking, this is in my 20s, and I was taking some non-credit courses over at one of the local high schools in Saratoga, and it was developing your intuition. And the teacher basically did exactly what you said. She, There were pictures that they put in envelopes, and they were passing them around, and you just had to use you know, your intuition, whatever feeling you got. And the one that was handed to me, I thought I was losing my mind, like the... the <laughs> <laughs> the envelope was extremely hot. I mean, almost burning my hands. I was smelling smoke. I'm like, wow. I'm totally making this up. This is, you know, weird. And yeah. but lo and behold, once they opened them, the person whose you know envelope I had, they had to claim the picture and give the story. And it was her son that died in a house fire. Perfect. So you know, yes. and, and that that was great confirmation for me because I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but I was interested in some of this work. And then to actually get a real hit when you think you're crazy and making it up in your head was, it was pretty cool. So, you know, I've had an experience like that as well. Well, excellent. And here's, here's my question to you. Why did you not continue to explore that? Well, I have, I have. Okay. Good. So let's hear more. <laughs> I know well, this is about to be about me, but you know, I love to turn the tables and interview you. So tell me another experience that would be helpful to our listeners. Oh, geez. I don't know. I've had many. I mean, that was really the beginning of some of my work into, you know, doing energy work. And from there it led to, well, what can I learn about Reiki and, um, you know, working within the body and, you know, healing people and things of that sort. So I do do that. Um, on a regular basis. So, and I know that you probably do like to interview people because you were also a radio host on Dreamland and you interviewed yes. tons of guests. So that comes what? naturally to you as well. What did you say? What did you say? I, I interviewed who? What? Tons. You've, you've interviewed tons of guests on the show yeah. Dreamland. Yeah. So I don't know if we want to go into that or not, but what were some of, you know, the guests that you had on that you found to be some of the most interesting that you've interviewed? Well, I, I think the nature of my being invited to be on that program was very interesting. And this brings up the conversation of UFOs and, and extraterrestrials. But Whitley Strieber, um, the author of Communion and a number of wonderful books about his experiences with um, uh, other energies and, and uh, the visitors, so to speak, um, I was a big fan of communion. I remember being in a little rowboat um, out in the middle of a lake uh, in Chagrin Falls outside of Cleveland, Ohio, when I was working as an actress at the Repertory Theater of Cleveland, at the Cleveland Playhouse. And I spent my a couple of Mondays out in that little boat reading communion. And I thought to myself, wow. If this is possible, if these communications between extraterrestrials or if this, this experience of Whitley's is, is valid, I hope to meet him someday. And that was in 87. And in 97, I happened to be um, working with James von Prague. Actually, spirit in, or the larger consciousness system and their divine wisdom stuck me in James von Prague's house, which is basically one of the reasons I found out I was a medium. <clears throat> and I continued to work with him, and he and I went to Sedona, where we had an, uh, a few unique experiences. One of them was seeing craft, UFO craft, and when you do have an experience like that, it alters your sense of reality forever. So it was 10 years after I had read the book, uh, 10 years uh, to 
almost the same month where I saw my first UFO. And then um, I ended up 10 years later meeting Whitley and his wife, Anne. And it's been a 10-year cycle of unique experiences. And even my meeting them at that time was pretty remarkable. So being invited to be a co-host and psychic medium expert on the program was really one of the greatest gifts to to talk with numerous authors about their works and to to travel and to have the experiences that that I did it it's it was remarkable and all of those shows that I've done are archived on dreamland unknowncountry.com's dreamland um the first one that I did was with Dick Sutphin, who is a past life regressioner, and we had some very interesting experiences. And my last um, program, or the last three programs, was Brian Weiss, Evan Alexander, and Claire Henry, who did this incredible book, art book of angels. So, um, and of course, Tom Campbell is my favorites too. So, I, it's one of the greatest blessings I ever had to be able to do that program. Yeah, I have a, a kind of an indirect, it's not really a connection, but <laughs> um, I, I, I realized, uh, well, somebody told me that actually I didn't live that far from Whitley when he was in New York. Um, this is back in the 90s. This is, I think, when he was writing Communion. Yes. Um, he was living in, uh, I was told, I don't know how true this is, um, that he was living in Accord, New York, which is like 15 minutes away from me. And um, I actually found that out by when I was witnessing a UFO. In, what? Uh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> you were witnessing the UFO and you got a download, you know, Whitley lived near you. Is that what happened? No, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> How did this happen? Ooh, this is a good story. Yeah, actually, it, it is, actually is a kind of interesting story. I don't know if I've told this on the show before, but back in 85, I believe it was 85, um, my father and I saw a UFO flying over our house. Hmm. And it was the, uh, I know there's pictures out there of it, it's the, the V-shape mm-hmm. uh, UFO. And it was that, that week that we saw it, there was all these sightings along the uh, Hudson River huh. between uh, Kingston, New York, and Westchester. So years go by, this is 92 now, 93. Yeah, it was the summer of 93, and... I saw it again. It was flying. This time it was earlier in the night. It was probably about, well, it was probably about 9 o'clock this time. And it's actually flying over the center of Kingston. And, of course, it was just like what you'd see in the movies with the UFO. And it was pretty low to the ground, too. Not close enough where we could see detail, but we were guessing that it was probably about the size of a football field yeah. ab- above us. And it was going over the center, the center road of town. And, of course, all the cars on the street were just pulling over, and people were getting out and just watching it. It was just something like you'd see in, like, a Steven Spielberg movie. So it was a, it was a mass sighting then? Yeah, it was, it was yeah. And it just cars just screeching to a halt, pulling off to the sides, because it, it actually started picking up speed now. So I got in the car, and we noticed that there was a person behind us, and we kind of almost like we were chasing each other, but we weren't. We were actually both chasing the UFO. And we chased it to another town, not far from Kingston, which is uh, Port Ewan. And we get out, and of course, Port Ewan overlooks the Hudson a little bit. So we got out on this hill, and we're watching it just go up the Hudson River. The person I was with was my wife, 
uh, we weren't married at the time, but we were together. And the person that was with us happened to be her cousin that she only met. It's a distant cousin, but she only met like twice before when she was younger. And we just happened to be talking. We, you know, say, oh, how you doing? You know, that kind of thing, watching this UFO go by. And uh, I said, oh, I saw the same UFO back in, you know, 85 or whatever it was. And, of course, her cousin, my wife's cousin, said, uh, oh, yeah, well, that, that was around the time Whitley Strieber saw his UFO or was abducted or something. And I said, who was that? I didn't even know who it was at the time. And he said, oh, yeah, Whitley Strieber, he's a big UFO guy. He wrote the book Communion. I think Communion had just come out, like, the year before. 87. And 87. Oh, okay. So it's a couple years difference. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember seeing the cover because it had that really cool-looking alien on the front. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I know the book. I just never read it. I never knew who he was. And he goes, oh, yeah, he lives in Accord. Or he lived in Accord because I think he moved right after the book came out. And uh, so that's how, that's my connection to Whitley Strieber. You know, the Phoenix Lights uh, sounds an awful lot like the same kind of mass sighting with a triangle shape. Are you familiar with that, Michael? Have you? Okay. Yeah, the Phoenix Lights. And um, the Phoenix Lights uh, movie uh, that Lin Kitai uh, developed is very interesting to to listen to the, the various people who had an experience around it. But it's still, you know, it still has um, a, a huge life. Um, I do believe that uh, these sort of experiences of sightings, whether it be a mass sighting or a few of us like we were out in the middle of a, a ranch outside of Sedona in the cold of November when I was with James Van Prague, we were supposed to see what we were supposed to see. So it affects us on whatever level. You know, we talk about the radio frequencies that we can't see, the cell phone frequencies that we can't see, the telepathy, the amazing ability that we all have to be able to think of each other, you know, in, in various parts of the world and, and connect to each other with the, just the speed of thought, let alone the incredible things that are even mentioned in your film Beyond the Physical when we're talking about the ability to go out into the cosmos and have dialogue with other energies. These things are all possible. Um, Getting away from our own ego, getting away from our belief systems, um, you know, to open up our hearts and minds to these possibilities has to happen on a very personal level. I don't know whether you all have seen the couple of YouTubes that Tom and I have done together, but this is exactly what we keep repeating. You really don't grasp these things until you have a personal experience. Um, Just like each one of you, and each one of our listeners too, you have to have an experience that shifts your perception of your reality, whether it's holding uh, holding a photograph or holding an envelope that has a picture of someone who who died in a a fire, whether it's going out and, and seeing a UFO. We all have to have a personal experience in order to shift our perception. And I think that that's the bottom line of why we're even doing what we're all doing. Yeah, Is- another another side connection, too, to the Phoenix Lights. One of my uncles out in Arizona was one of the witnesses to that, and he created one of the drawings that appeared in USA Today. About that? Yeah, about the Phoenix yeah. Lights. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and yeah, I, I would I would agree with everything that you just said too. Now, do you have any intake or any um, opinions on 
Why do you think some people are exposed to UFOs or do have these sightings and other people just aren't there? I mean, is there something about being in the right place at the right time? And do you have any feelings or thoughts about, you know, are those people there to receive that experience from extraterrestrials because they need to, or is there a certain purpose? Good, good question. I think there's a purpose in all of it. How does it come about? Well, <clears throat> as you know, I've been talking with Tom about this, the larger consciousness system, um, interfacing with the, that system, whether you want to call it um, the LCS or God or the divine or the universe, it's like we are in this. We are not separate from it. This is, a, this is why we're here. We are interfacing on a physical basis with each other as humans, as souls, to, to grow up, to learn love, which is the, the, low, the best form of low entropy. It's not the high chaos entropy of chaos and, and, and all of the things that are divisive. This is about lowering the entropy into love. Where we come from, you know, we'd like to think that there are belief systems of a God consciousness yeah, okay, it's bigger than that. Can we even wrap our brains around it? It's so hard with our little pea brains to understand why. What is this all about? You know, there's a, um, a, a little film out there called The Adjustment Bureau that I think is, is kind of a really great way of showing the idea of a consciousness that is trying to assist us, even though it is, of course, a, a, you know, a movie from Hollywood that basically shows an idea of working with a consciousness in, in, in sort of a humorous but also threatening kind of way where we're being manipulated or we're being guided. There's something benevolent about this larger consciousness system. So if we as souls coming in as an acorn with all of this possibility have it in our DNA, have it in our soul's journey to expand and grow, and if, we're in, if we learn from... Um, the terrible experience that we just had, or we, we grow in empathy because someone that we loved just suffered a loss and we keep growing, that pulls a frequency in to help us grow even more. Are we ready for disclosure? Are we ready to understand that we come from a, a star system and that all of the beings here that have come here to teach us are part of that larger consciousness system when we keep killing them off. Are we ready for that? So in answer to your question, it's, it's the intent of our soul to grow. If we are blinded, if we want to stay blind, if we want to live in cognitive dissonance, if we're in fear, if we're in ego, we are going to be stubborn and we're going to resist. And I'm telling you, we all know what we resist continues to persist. So here we are. These, you know, this is kind of a, I'm giving you a mishmash of an answer to your question, but it's basically we get what we ask for. It might not be what we want, but it's what we need. So, whether it is an illness that helps us understand health more, whether it is uh, picking up an envelope and being able to read the, the number of the bill, whether it is 
oddly enough, understanding that consciousness survives death and there are messages from our deceased loved ones on an ongoing basis, whether it is another form of reaching out into the stars and being in touch with that, with the consciousness or a communication system that wants to give us more information. We create, we pull to us what we need. So it, what I want right now might not be what's best for me, but the larger consciousness system on some divine way knows that, yeah, Marla can have this right now. You know, she's really, you know, not as though it's a punishment or a reward. It literally is an exchange of energy. Does that make sense to you guys? I mean, am I, am I being clear? So what and, and prayer, I, I love talking about the, the intention of prayer. If our souls have an intention inside of us that is resonating with love, then our prayers resonate to pull that to us. It's kind of like anything. If we resonate hate, we propagate hate. And we keep propagating hate until our consciousness realizes that that is not the truth. That is not really who we are. You know, the separation of all these different belief systems, if it continues to separate us and be divisive, it is the complete opposite to what the nature of consciousness is, which is cohesion and unity. It's the whole idea that Tom has been talking about through, you know, his book, My Big Toe, and, and, and other people are, who are aware of this consciousness um, idea that entropy, high entropy, and the, and the disassociation of molecules that are not unified is chaos. And the unity of love and dropping down into low entropy and making something cohesive, which is um, about love and compassion, is truly the only way that we can as humans survive. So I didn't mean to get so, you know, to extrapolate into that as I just did, but that's kind of the point, right? Right. Yeah. And I would think too, you know, like some, with all the stuff that's going on in the world today, you know, that people, you know, are very reactive, they get very upset about it. But, you know, to me, it also feels like it's a part of exactly what you were saying. It's giving a large part of the consciousness system an opportunity to grow in love and empathy. Kind of need that, need that contrast in, in some regards. Yeah, in order to see, you know, how stupid it is. Um, I think it was one of the hostage negotiators or a key guy. I think his name's Brian, but don't quote me on that. Um, But he's basically saying, you know, as a behavioral, uh, you know, psychologist, the nature of uh, hate and radical um, behavior is it's the hate is inside of you. If you have that propensity of fear, of ego, of anger, you are going to find a system to support that. It's an ideology. Oh, let's get behind, um, you know, uh, white supremacy, or let's get behind fundamentalist Christian, or let's get behind this or that. The, the propagation is, we're right, you're wrong. The divisiveness, um, pitting one against the other, where, and utilizing the false sense that there's a God source that is supporting this ideology. 
And it's basically going to kill you. It's going to kill a bunch of other people and you. And that's the, that's the fundamental fear factor around this. But he's based, this guy was basically saying, you know, when you have the nature of either mental illness or, or fear, you are going to find something to support that. And you're going to link with it. And when you link with it, that becomes, you know, the powder keg. Because mm-hmm. it's a false sense of power. And usually it, it's annihilation for, for other people as well as yourself. And then there, and then we get to recycle again. So I'd like to I'd like to ask both of you how you feel about the the idea that you know, we're here. Do you do you um, what's your what's your consciousness around the idea of you know we die we come back? I'm curious about what you guys think. I, I definitely think you know we pass on from this physical reality. We're kind of drop back into you know an ocean of consciousness and then we get the choice to come back and either fix what we didn't get to fix the last time or you know learn something new kind of thing I, I, I definitely think there is something like that I, I don't I don't know if I know how to verbalize it in a, a, a proper way that would make much more sense than that I don't know if it's clear, but um, yeah, I, I would agree too. I mean, I think when you know, you and I, we recently sat down and we were re-interviewing some people to get our third film together. You know, this was kind of some of the topics that we were talking to people about, and you know, mm-hmm. of course, Tom has you know a very interesting way in describing it, and the explanation that he gave and the way that he was kind of talking about this recycling, just it makes a whole lot of sense and, and why we would maybe come back to Earth or come back into the human form because it is something that we already know and, you know, we learn how to navigate in this type of way a little bit better each time. And, you know, I really like his whole discussion on, you know, you either evolve or you de-evolve. Sometimes I have, you know, clients that might be really struggling with some, you know, depression and, or maybe they really don't have a spiritual belief system of any sort. And I can see some people saying, well, what's the point if we're just going to die anyway? Like, what's the point? What's the point of living? What's the point to be kind? And, you know, when I latch onto the concept that, well, I'm trying to evolve my consciousness each time I come back around, why wouldn't I want to just make choices to have fun and to laugh and to love and to make, you know, each decision a better decision and every interaction with a person a better interaction, if there is truth to that, (laughs) you know? Well, you know, that's one of the things that I, I experienced at Monroe. There are a number of different programs that give you the opportunity to go into um, states of consciousness to ass- and get assistance from other energies that you've worked with or been with. Um, you know, I, I had past life regressions with Brian Weiss even before I went to Monroe. And some of the things that happened in those past life regressions, it's like, oh, my God. That's so fascinating that I, you know, I was a French Huguenot trying to um, you know, colonize Polynesia, and I, my head was being hacked off by a Polynesian, and I'm talking to that Polynesian, going, "Wow, you can't really chop it off fast enough. I mean, I have to really go through this again." Um, so, um, uh, one of the uh, experiences at Monroe, uh, seeing another one of my lives, was as a 
as a child, it must have been in Africa, I couldn't have been more than five or six years old, and I knew I was dying. I was starving. My belly was distended, and as soon as the sun was going to come around the corner, I knew that it would be my last breath, but I remembered the hand coming down and giving me milk or feed in order for me to have sustenance, and I kept asking while I was even in this experience, why am I going through this? And the, and the answer was to understand the suffering of humanity. You know, I get emotional when I think about all the things that we have gone through. You know, I'm 57. You know, all the things that I've gone through in my life that have made me who I am. My mother, the challenging mother I had, was my greatest, greatest teacher. She was a constant source of me trying to understand and navigate what she was doing, which was the you know it was a it was uh, it was an incredible place for me to understand how to survive. That's what we're trying to do constantly is just survive um, the experience of being human. But what we learn and what we do in in the nature of our own humanity and the humanity of others, and I think that's the nature of of viewing or having the experience of seeing our past lives. Um, Every one that I had gone through, um, I had one in, in World War II, it was in one of the camps, and I and I write about this in my book, where my arm was opened up by a doctor. And I was a dark-haired girl. I I assume I was Jewish. I don't know, but I was in this concentration camp. And I remember the doctor saying to me, I'm going to give you something that's either going to make you very sick or kill you. And I kept saying to him, don't you understand? You are me. I am you. We are the same. We are the same. And I am not going to hate you because... I understand that whatever I'm learning is something that you too will have to learn in in the process of your passing. And I could feel my my soul leaving the body saying, don't you understand? I am you, you are me. And I think that must be the moment in certain people's lives, especially I've heard soldiers talk about this, when they are looking into the eyes of their um of their enemy and they see the soul. There's an instance of, why am I doing this? You are a brother, but I am just trying to survive. And must I take your life in order to survive? Or must my life surrender in order for consciousness to survive? Hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, in experiences like that, for people you know, like yourself in the way that you're describing, to be able to tap into that experience and actually feel that in that concept of we really are one is really a gift. It's a kind of a blessing. Not not everyone is able to grasp that concept or to feel it or to see it or to have that experience and really truly understand and grasp that concept of what that means. Well, April, it takes loss. Loss is a door of it's a it's the it's a door into a world of transformation. Whether it's the loss of um, you know wealth or the loss of health, you know when you lose health, you 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 get pretty scared. Anytime you get sick, there's a part of you that gets scared about your own mortality. But when you love, which is the essence of humanity, I mean, anybody who blows themselves up for an ideology, okay, they love a god. 
They love the idea that has, that they have, or the idea that they are going to be um, martyred. They, there's something in their consciousness that they love more than themselves. They don't understand what that is, but it's the essence of love. And when you are threatened with something that you love being lost, you fight. And it is in loss. It's the only thing that is the game changer. And maybe the system, this larger consciousness system, is giving us the opportunity over and over again to see that this is the folly of humanity. Absolutely. How, how much do we have to lose personally? Sorry, I'm getting emotional. But how, you know, how much do we have to lose in order to understand that this is what we're here for? To Good question, yeah. Do I, I, you know, as in being in love and service, I... I try and provide a service, just as we all do, you know, as the nature of facilitators, to try and, and, and build a bridge between our fears and the peace that passes all understanding. Sometimes um, the information that I'm given is so specific. For someone to do something, you know, go to see a doc, go, go to a different doctor. And I can't make anybody do anything. I can just provide the information. It is up to that person whether they choose to do something about it or not. But as, as you are a facilitator and, and helping someone and telling them and giving them support, that's what we're here to do, right? Exactly. And, and I think that you two, um, in in the films that you have created with the afterlife and beyond the physical, you've created an opportunity for people to see, hear, and feel different by the information of these very gifted and smart people that you have, you know, invited to be in this conversation. And I just, I want to thank you for putting that out there. Yeah, and thank you. It was so nice to finally connect with you through our connections and have a chance to eventually sit down and talk for a little bit. So thank you so much for being on our show. And um, would you like like to let people know a little bit more about your book or where they can find your information? Well, um, the book's not out yet. I'm still looking for the the right uh, either publisher or situation to have it published. Um, I do want to thank you and Michael and Garrick and, of, of course, all of the people that I have worked with in the last year who have continued to, you know, su- support this conversation. And the reason that I say this last year is because I really do feel that the work that Tom and uh, Lori Houston and Hillary Ramo and myself have done in these teleconferences has been quite extraordinary. And I encourage people to, um, to look at those YouTube videos um, and you know, my website is marlafreeze.com, which is pretty simple. Um, I continue to work with people privately over the phone and in group situations. And I do go and host, uh, have people host events for me in other cities. So that's what I'm continuing to do. I'm going to take the holiday to focus on the manuscript and make sure I find the right home for it. And I trust that I will. But I love this conversation and, and I welcome this opportunity, you guys. So thank you so very much. Thanks, Marla. If you'd like more information about our films or to purchase our DVDs, you can head on over to our website at thepastseries.com. They're also available to purchase on amazon.com. Our films are also streaming online at vimeo.com, guyamtv.com, and iTunes. 
If you have a show suggestion or would like us to interview someone specifically, please feel free to shoot us an email at info at thepastseries.com or send us a tweet at the past series. Please rate and review us in iTunes and subscribe. We hope you enjoyed the show. <laughs>